We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Very, very excited about this week's episode. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? You call it this week's episode, but we're pumping these out like every every two <laughs> days. Uh, I'm good. I had yeah. to take a day to myself to celebrate that series, but alas, the players don't get much uh, time off, so neither do we. And now we're back to talk about the Denver Nuggets. Really uh, excited to talk to the couple guys we have on today. Yeah, this feels like a more normal episode. We're back to recording on the weekend like we normally do, so it just feels a little more normal to me. Uh, joining us right now, I'm very excited about this, the Ringer Zone, the best, I've called him before, the best basketball man on YouTube, Cosine. J. Kyle Mann. Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing good and uh, very good, and I appreciate that. That's a nice compliment. Thank you. There's a lot of good. I, there's a lot of smart people on YouTube. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's true, but there's a lot of, <laughs> no, not that there's not a I wouldn't say that I'm the best. I would say there's a lot of people. It's a very competitive environment for sure. Yeah, I think you do a, a really great job of being informative, but also making the videos entertaining. And that is really, really hard to do. As someone who's made YouTube videos myself, that's really hard to do. I just want to say, Kyle, when we first had you on, uh, we had you on in our mind as the Dime Drops J. Kyle Man. Yeah. Uh, that was right at the time that you first started making videos for The Ringer. Uh, you've done a lot of excellent content for them so far, and now you're staying up late at night recording post postseason game podcasts with Bill Simmons. Yeah, I just have to say it's very very cool to hear you uh, talk to him. I'm very happy for you. I imagine your life has changed. What has that been like for you? Um, well, I mean the the first episode I did with him I think I tweeted something about how surreal it is uh, I've been real transparent about it I mean Bill has was my hero like uh, on, I mean a huge influence on me I think you can see that too and um, early on in like the page two days of, of like uh, ESPN.com um, 
you guys are a little younger than me, so I mean, I don't know if did you guys read page two back then? Like I what, did, yeah. Mike did, Mike did. He's not. I'm that also much old than like you. you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I've been getting a lot of shit for being old uh, today, specifically. I just want to say, Mark Chindler, shut up. Um, but and also, I'm younger than Dave DeFore and Ben Taylor. I just want to put that out there. I'm the youngest <laughs> of that trio. Um, yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah, I mean. Um, it, I've had to demystify it a little bit, yeah, just because I, for so long I, I've consumed everything Bill's done, and um, I was telling you guys, Bill's a really, really good host. I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. So it's been, and it's been a fun transition into doing that. I've I've had a blast. You're doing a great job, so I appreciate you being there. Uh, I just want to get just to start right off. The Suns defeated the Lakers. Against a lot of odds. I'm not going to say against all odds. It was a two versus seven seed. Obviously, Anthony Davis injured. Chris Paul injured. A very odd series that ended up with the Suns winning three in a row to close it out. Which is, what are your general thoughts on that series? What did you think about the Suns um, defeating the Lakers? Um, I mean, the Anthony Davis part looms pretty huge. I mean, because he looms pretty huge on the court. I think that yeah. his... I mentioned this on the Simmons Reaction Pod the other night that just... You know, in terms of rim protection, a lot more goes on before the ball is at the rim. You know, a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of the things. And and Davis is one of the best players in the world in that sense. I made the argument that I think he's the most versatile player in the world in that sense if he's healthy. I made that argument in our top twenty-five players thing. So, I mean, his and I, I'm sure Suns fans would acknowledge this. Him not being there really made all the difference. But yeah. you also have to kind of look at the fact that. Um, we've seen this happen a couple times. I think it happened with Miami last year. I think that um, whenever you you just see sort of a cult of personality thing happen sometimes with young teams, and in the in the video specifically I made about Chris Paul, which I'm, we'll probably talk about, I guess. Um, he, I, I could see his impact on them in terms of the poise that they had when it came time to like, okay, AD went down, but you know the Lakers made some runs. Um, they, but, but Phoenix didn't, there was just sort of a level up maturity that I saw in them and the way that they executed. I mean, they've executed really well all year. They've been one of the best execution teams in the league. Uh, and, and it's been, his impact has been, Chris's impact has been, I compared it to like a CEO coming into like a startup <laughs> and leveling them up. And I, I think that's what he's started to do. Um, and also just the fact that he, his like, offense wasn't necessarily the biggest part of it there at the end you know um Mm -hmm. and uh i I just think his personality made an imprint on this team and it's been pretty pretty crazy to watch um pretty pretty impressive i do want to talk a lot about chris paul a little bit later um but i think we can agree overall his series impact was not there what it normally would be with so much focus kind of on booker's heroics in the final two games there was was he the guy who you were most taken with from a Suns perspective, or or is there a different guy that you could single out? You know, like I I heard you guys on the Bill Simmons podcast talking about Jay Crowder, yeah. um, and and the impact he had in this series, finally kind of getting over the hump uh, against LeBron, um, Aiton, huge series for him. So so kind of who was it for you for the Suns in in that series? I haven't heard any like anecdotal direct evidence of this, but I do suspect that CP's like impact on Aiton has been big too. To the point yeah. almost where, totally. um, I mean, he he was finishing, he, st- he still, when he got into situations where he was being asked to, like, get, get on that borderline of, like, and I made this point that at some point, like, the, the bridge for him to go into to really continue his growth is, like, creating it for himself. A lot of what he was doing, 
and really really impressed with with his uh his finishing his efficiency at the rim things like that is <clears throat> sorry uh rotational like he he was really solid rotationally in in the in the series um i was impressed with him um i crowder i think is another person who like just had an impact on sort of the mental resolve of the team too the toughness uh when his shots started going in i mean it was that was that was a damning thing for the lakers i made a point about that that um god how many did he miss he what was the percentage? I know you guys know. He went he on. Was, a, he, he was at 20% going into game six. Jesus. And then he shot like, I don't know, he made at least four or five. <laughs> yeah, six. he started yeah. banging them. Um, yeah, I mean, I was impressed with him. Um, I, I was impressed with Bridges, too, uh, his off-ball activity. They did not make it easy. I mean, like LeBron, these things compounded. I mean, LeBron doesn't have the same gear to get to the bucket at mm-hmm. will like he used to, um, which really impacted the way that Phoenix played them. They also... I mean, these things just snowballed. The fact that he he declined in terms of his mobility, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, that allowed Phoenix to play him differently, but they also just couldn't put, like, competent creator shooters on the floor with him, uh, which just really made it difficult. But I thought Bridges, when he wasn't on LeBron, when he was off ball, um, did a great job monitoring those kind of skip paths, that those passing lanes that LeBron loves to exploit, and he's one of the best. I mean, he, he kind of popularized pioneered that that passing style honestly uh and they they did a good job uh you know mucking that stuff up so that so that their offense was even further bogged down i was but uh i was impressed with him um obviously campaign was just mm. off the charts i mean just fearless I mean, he he attacked lebron specifically <laughs> he did um <laughs> a lot i actually could probably pull it up and find out for sure here since we have fancy software now if you don't mind me to take a beat here, let's see. I would love. You I have would love fancy software. I think I just want to say it again. I've said it over and over again. While you're looking that up, there might not be a better story in the playoffs than campaign. Just how insane it is that he was out of the league and now is <laughs> yeah. contributing on a good team in a way that is like vital contributions. The Suns would not have won, or especially early. I mean, obviously, Game Six was a bit of a down game for him, but every game before that he was excellent and it's and it's just a crazy thing for him to go from china to the playoffs is <laughs> is there yeah. a, is there a more fun hipster nerd nba twitter matchup in the second round than campaign versus monte morris <laughs> yeah that's i think that's gonna one. be a lot of fun <laughs> i'll say something they don't win that that game six without monte morris like that was right he yeah. came in and his minutes when Compazzo wasn't out there were huge he made like a ton of big plays. That last pick and roll uh, play that he made with Jokic, where I think Jokic slipped and he threw up. Pretty sure he threw like a lefty pocket pass to Jokic in traffic that was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be a, a question mark if he if he ramps up his production and plays really well. That's a thing for them to account for. Um, I mean, I know you you were like half kidding, but that that is going to be a fun. I know Monte is like a yeah. fairly no legendary joke. advanced stats guy on Twitter, yeah. but. Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, I'm not seeing like a, a huge volume. Sometimes these tracking things aren't right, but yeah, he had, uh, campaign attacked LeBron and Mark Gasol pretty relentlessly when given the chance and pretty fearlessly. Um, he uh, he played well. I know people here, people here are rooting for him. He's another Murray State guy. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, they're my alma mater's rival, Moorhead State. So <laughs> I'm not supposed to root for him. Um, yeah, just down the line. I mean. It, it was a really impressive outing by the Suns. Uh, they, Some, something yeah. that you talked about uh, was the style of passing, I think, that you said LeBron James pioneered. 
the Suns, in a in a weird way, once Anthony Davis is out, I feel like playing defense against that team in the way that they played kind of did prepare the Suns to play against the Nuggets. A lot of what I'm thinking about now is how the Suns are going to defend the Nuggets. And I think in a lot of ways, maybe you do end up putting Mikel Bridges on Compazzo or, or Rivers sort of in a, in a point of attack role. But because the Nuggets play through Jokic, so much, then he's going to be able to play that sort of helper role a lot more, similar to when he was not on LeBron for the Lakers. When you think about the matchup between the Suns and the Nuggets, I mean, I don't know if you've done a lot of deep dive research into this because we're just starting to get into it now too, but how do you envision how the Suns are going to defend them? Well, the Nuggets are a tough team because, um, and I've talked about this a little bit in the past, they're not, um, a lot of teams that are centered around one offensive player have um, you know longer touch times things like that where you can start to really focus and load up your your offensive um, your, your 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 defensive focus and in the playoffs you know teams get really creative with that kind of stuff the the nuggets are really tough because a um, Jokic doesn't touch the ball very long and doesn't have to touch the ball very long to make a really great decision that'll lead directly to a basket uh, but then also you have the fact that uh, you can't double him because he's seen every variation of – I mean, you can. You're, you're welcome to. It's just that uh, – and the Suns have a lot of, you know, rangy, versatile defenders that are quick and smart defenders too, so that's going to be interesting. I mean, like Chris Paul specifically, as much as he's kind of fallen off in like on-ball foot speed, he's a very clever off-ball defender, um, sneaking up, getting getting his hands on things. Um, that'll be interesting. Uh, but that, that's one of the real challenges with them – I mean, Aiton really is going to have his work cut out for him, but in terms of like DHOs, in terms of cutters, um, they're a tough team to play because they are really, really going to work you um, in terms of your off-ball focus. Uh, Jokic can sort of – he can, Jokic is kind of like he can play like five games of blackjack at the same time and kind of know the count in each <laughs> one in real time. And that's just kind of the way he is as a player, and that's why he's so maddening to defend. Um so that's going to be a challenge. Um, you know, MPJ, I think, is another – what do you guys think about that? Who do you think you're going to throw at MPJ? My initial impression was Bridges. Actually, he's, he's, MPJ has done really well on him in the regular season. It might end up being Crowder. It's, it's got to be one of those guys. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know my first impression who would be better, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough because when you're thinking about – who, and it's weird because we're going to get to talk to TJ later, our friend TJ that covers the Nuggets about – who he thinks they're going to start because the way that they've started, the Suns played the Nuggets twice early on this year and three times really, and none of those games matter I, <laughs> because yeah. they look completely different. Four of their starters are no longer starting for them. Some of them are not even on the team anymore uh, for the Nuggets, and Devin Booker was hurt in one of those games. And even beyond all that, I commonly talk for the Suns about the day the season started was February 1st because it was like preseason before that. Devin Booker and Chris Paul just did not know how to play with each other yet. In a lot of ways, Chris Paul was treating Devin Booker like J.J. Redick in certain plays and giving him the balls in places that a commonly uh, lights-out three-point shooter would want the ball. And it took a little bit of time for those guys to get their roles together. And all of the games versus the Nuggets were before that February 1st date. Mm -hmm. So it's an odd thing where you can't really take anything from those games. So it's hard to quite figure that out. And also, even just... The Nuggets, obviously, no Jamal Murray, who kills the Suns, and Michael Porter Jr., a completely different player for the last few months. Um, I have a feeling that they're going to put Jay Crowder on uh, Michael Porter Jr. and have 
Mikhail, hound whatever ball handler is touching the ball when Jokic is not touching the ball. That's just kind of my my feeling on that uh, because that just tends to be what they've done throughout the season. Yeah, uh, but I'm not quite I'm not quite sure. I think that it could be one of either of those two guys on Michael Porter Jr. And I feel like. I mean, he was free against those Portland Trailblazers. They were not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> were not defending him well. Uh, I was going to say, well, I, I think the board kind of gets implied here. If you think about, I mean, Aaron Gordon is the obvious thing to think about here. I, mm-hmm. I would assume that Crowder would need to take Gordon since he's a little, a little mm-hmm. bulkier. I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing if you want to try to take away, think about Porter is he doesn't really need to attack off the bounce to get to what he wants to get to. He's sort of like, um, Charks called him like a six eleven clay Thompson type. I mean, like right. he doesn't, he doesn't have to dribble. I was making this point the other day on Twitter that like, it really is insane not to launch into like a development conversation about him. It is just insane how seamlessly all that stuff has translated for him from level to level. Yeah. Like he's literally doing the exact same things that he was doing in like, you know, in high school and in summer summer ball but um i don't know gordon gordon i guess is is an interesting thing there for them not as like mm-hmm. offensively aggressive um you could i guess maybe gamble and try to and try to live with his spot up um but yeah like the nuggets are just this evolving hard to pin down thing um because Jokic is such a floor raiser i mean like he you can really just kind of plug in certain types of pieces to him he's the, he's that uh, that motherboard kind of metaphor that i've used before too that like um and, and and we've seen too that he has another gear to go to in terms of uh asserting himself offensively but um it's been interesting too just to see them kind of in the aggregate make up some of the offense that they lost with murray through rivers i mean it's it's yeah. really amazing how much rivers and morris but um it's it's just amazing how much uh, of an impact Rivers had on that series. Blazers fans have to be just furious about their luck with that. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, wonder how confident Nuggets fans are too, by the way, in that. Well, <laughs> they had the second best effective field goal percentage on spot-up jumpers in that series, second only to the Nets, um, like 67%, shooting close to 50% from deep. Wow. Shot the hell out of the ball. So we'll see if they can sustain it over the over the second round. Um, you talked about Chris Paul a few minutes ago, Kyle. You mentioned his off-ball defense. You mentioned another thing that came up in your video. <laughs> so I want to transition over to the video. You put out a video for The Ringer now. All of them are great. I always recommend anyone to go and check them out. This one is called Chris Paul is a Basketball Comet. <laughs> and really about the formula for longevity. Uh, mm-hmm. For specifically Paul, who is a small point guard in the NBA, you, you start off the video talking about it's difficult for a guy of his physical stature to survive in the NBA for as long as he has. Um, I want to go behind the scenes first a little bit because I know these videos take such a long time for you to make. The, Too long, way- embarrassing long. Like, <laughs> and, like there's but, no excuse for it. Like it's not. No, like, no, no. Oh yes, there's, the art just has to. No, I take too long. I'm slow. No, I'm not fast. Pl- well, well, here's one question. There's there's plenty of excuse for it because they're amazing. Just the the beginning montages. I know you did this with like Anthony Edwards. Now, uh, I'm not going to tell earlier. you how I did it if that's what you're going to ask. How long does just that 20-second montage take you to find those clips? If I'm being dead serious, that took me like a day and a half to do that. <laughs> okay, I, so and when I got to the end of it, I always have these moments where I'm like a tile like a tile worker, like a, you know what I mean, like putting that where I'll be like putting down the tile for a long time and then I'll step back and I'll be like 
oh my god is this fucking stupid what did i just do <laughs> what did i all just right. do i do that all the time so, i mean yeah that took a while to do um, so the the way i think about it it's probably like bottom of the eighth inning i know mike hates baseball talk but accept the metaphor uh, and Chris Paul goes down in game one. Like oh. you're almost done with this video and Chris Paul goes down in game one. Can oh. you explain where you were in the process? Did you watch that moment live? Did you like, what was your reaction to that? Did well, you feel like you had just cursed? Well, we uh, talked about sense? it a little bit. I mean, I was, I was really close to driving to the Humana building here in Louisville and jumping. That's how close I was. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd literally just finished like I'd rendered that video and spent a lot of time on it. And, um, and then he, when he got hurt, I, uh, I, yeah, I was just pacing around my house. Like, like I had money on the game. Uh, my wife was laughing at me, but yeah, she was like, Oh no. Um, it, it just, <laughs> it was nuts. I mean, this happened to me last year too, with the, the, the nuggets. Interestingly enough, last year, this happened to me where I made a video where I kind of like let the nuggets have it because they'd, they'd had a couple games in a row where they'd kind of phoned it in and I was being really critical of them. And then an even longer video that took longer to make. And then they went on that run and I was just like, well, that was an enormous waste of time. But that kind of that just happens in the playoffs. You know, it's kind of my slow process colliding with a moving target. And uh, but I mean, I was really happy that that he uh that he came back i was living and dying with his <laughs> with his health um i'm really thankful that that he that he did for my selfish reasons but also because whenever i do these videos and i study people i come to root for them you know it almost never fails uh, yeah and uh chris paul is you were talking about how hard it is to survive and i i started to go into this in the video that i mean i don't know that people probably do realize this i think it's just when you start to really think about specifically him at his height to do what he does at the level that he does it at when you consider the just looking at the if you took like a census of the basketball world there are just infinitely more people in that height range playing basketball you know i mean i don't know if people realize how many good basketball players there are in the world that are like six one six two you know right so for him for him to to do this i think it just kind of it really emphasizes how special chris paul steve nash and john stockton are like in terms of their ball skills i know it seemed cliche to be like you got to be able to shoot dribble and pass it's like well no shit yeah but i mean they they like <laughs> these guys for them to do that at an elite level in all three categories uh it seems simple but it is not like chris paul is one of the most skilled basketball players ever to play the sport you know, and I, I think that's pretty safe to say. If he'd been six seven, six, think. Imagine if he'd been six six, six seven. I mean, he'd mm. have he'd probably have a couple MVPs. Honestly, if you took his skill level and just leveled it up. But I think a lot of the stuff that he developed over time was the result of just sort of the Darwinism of basketball, like a small guy living. You know, obviously, like insane, like coordination, insane hand eye, um, and and his personality works with that too, but. I think a lot of his survival ability uh, just came from the problem solving that he dealt with as being a small player. And uh, those things have allowed him to stay on the floor. You know, first of all, anyone who hasn't watched this video, go find it. It's on the Ringers YouTube channel. It says Chris Paul is a basketball comet. I think it does a really good job of, of talking about exactly what you just mentioned here. Just the unlikely un unlikelihood of him actually being successful this long at his size. And it's incredible. And you mentioned being a fan of him by the end of that, you know, sort of rooting for him. Do you think 
Well, for example, one of your colleagues at The Ringer, Shea Serrano, called Chris Paul a villain <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> recently. <laughs> Do you think that there is a chance that NBA fans as a whole, maybe outside of Nuggets or Lakers fans, outside of Suns fans, rally around Chris Paul in any way if the Suns do end up making a run and looking like they have a chance to make the finals. Because, look, you don't have to root for a Jokic title right now. You don't have to root for a Luka title right now because they're probably going to have more chances going forward. In fact, I'm terrified of the Nuggets next year once Jamal Murray is healthy. But Chris Paul, 36 years old and on a very good team, and the West is sort of wide open right now, how do you think fans outside of the ones that are rooting either for or against him right now uh, will feel about him if they have a chance? I mean, he's, I, I touch on this in the video. I mean, he's, he's had an understandable reputation throughout. I mean, I don't think that he really, the thing about Chris Paul is I don't really think he minds. Like, I, he doesn't really seem to care if people, you know, he's really obsessed with one thing, and that's winning. I mean, there was a clip that I almost put in the video about, um, uh, him just talking to some younger players where he was saying he's heard other NBA players talk about once if they get XYZ money, they're going to be, they'd be fine if they were done. And he was just like, I can't identify with that at all. And that's kind of, so if you are a pure basketball fan, you know, I know that like other fan bases have had run-ins with him over the years um, that have been, I mean, he, he has a way of competing on a level. He'll do whatever it takes to win. And, and I mean, and that has like, that has like turned a lot of people against him. I mean, he's had sort of a villain vibe throughout his career. I can understand why Shea would say that. Um, I'm me not being having a team. I guess I don't really. I, I haven't really. My dog's barking. Sorry. I haven't. I haven't really identified. Like, I guess I've been up and down with him in a similar way to, that I was with Kobe. I mean, there's been times where I've kind of like rolled my eyes at him, just like, "What are mm. you? Go, give me. Come on, man." <laughs> um, but th those other things that I was talking about, just that he clearly. Uh, is is just all about basketball and all about winning and now he's transitioned into this like all about helping these younger teams level up I would think that that would be a narrative that people could identify with um I, can, I can't speak to the specific beefs that like Lakers fans have had with Chris Paul over the years I mean I know him like mimicking LeBron's post-up was one of the funniest things I've ever seen <laughs> Uh, LeBron, LeBron asked for that. I mean, that was like hundred <laughs> percent. You know, I, I have all, utmost appreciation appreciation for LeBron, but he totally asked for that. Um, and I, I also kind of knew how the Suns were feeling towards the end of that game. Whenever that started to happen, whenever they were like really hamming it up, and and it looked like they were in trouble. Like, I mean, I played on some losing teams when I was playing, and we we would get just you know blown out at the uh, at an opponent's gym. Um, it's a horrible feeling. So, I mean, but their chestiness to kind of bounce back from that, um, they didn't quit at all. And I mean, I, I think that I'm not going to say that stuff wasn't already there because Booker's a pretty tough sucker. I mean, he's a pretty tough minded guy. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, Paul, Paul's had a tremendous impact on them in that sense. And, um, I think if you're a basketball fan, yeah, I, I, I could, I would, you should be rooting for him. That's what I would say. One another one of my favorite things about the video that you really reminded me of, you show the clips of him on the Hornets. Oh yeah, I and love it's like that. that was fun. Yeah, you and I know like you're old, so you were you know however old at that time. <laughs> I was a kid. That's like when I was first getting into the NBA. Right, that was like peak Steve Nash, young Chris Paul. 
but you, obviously I knew how Chris Paul played even at that age, but like he's, he's darting into passing lanes. He's sprinting down the full length of the court. He's throwing down a dunk, even if it's like a two handed dunk. And you just see the speed, the, the real athleticism that Chris Paul used to play with. I, I thought it was a really interesting reminder of the transformation, the body transformation and the game transformation he's had to still be effective at this point. You also throw out a Monty Williams quote, which I loved where he says, I wish it was X's and O's, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just not, it's, I forget exactly what he says there, but like, it's just his feel to be able to snake the pick and roll and, and get to his spots that right elbow, like he does, um, even at age 36, by the time we got to games five and six of this Lakers series, it was still clear that he, that shoulder wasn't a hundred percent, right? Mm-hmm. He still wasn't really shooting threes that the few threes he did attempt, um, they didn't feel good to him that was pretty clear but but otherwise were you relatively encouraged by what you saw from Chris Paul kind of just in the past couple games and and how do you think that maybe projects forward for the rest of this playoff series um or or the the rest of this playoff run for Phoenix uh in terms of how other teams play him um it's gonna be I don't know I I I would imagine he's still on the up and up it's weird he kind of looked a little bit better in game five than he did in game six like it seemed like he did you all notice that it seemed like he looked a little more confident in it yeah maybe when he got he well he got hit towards the end of was that in five yeah when he got hit yeah Yeah. maybe I mean maybe that's what it was that it just kind of aggravated it um I think he also played no never mind never mind (laughs) keep going Well, well he hit a three in game five I don't think he did in game six so that alone as its own metric I think matters yeah I mean the thing about him too is that like and this is another reason why he's had the longevity that he's had and like a lot of the great players have this it's just his sense for um playmaking and scoring balance is that like you can't bait him into and that's why some of these guards don't age gracefully is because they lean so hard one direction and you know personality and how they want to play uh, factors into those kinds of things. I mean, if you think about the way Allen Iverson left the league, um, I mean, it was pretty polar opposite. He was pretty insistent on playing a certain way, and he and but you can't really do that to Chris Paul. So, um, I mean, if your if your strategy is to kind of play uphill off of him and and uh, get you know maybe get in Devin Booker's sight lines, things like that, um, I don't feel I don't feel super confident about doing that. I mean, is your strategy going to be to like dare Chris Paul to shoot? I don't think so. And the thing is, too, is that like he's got such incredible pace in the middle of the floor. Uh, unless he is just like cannot do anything with his right hand the way he was in that first time back, um, I don't know that it's going to have a colossal impact. Just because um, you know he affects the team in other ways, uh, and they've demonstrated that they can put the offense on the board. The problem is like the Lake. The, the issue will be that the the Nuggets are going to be a much better like offensively fluid team than the Lakers were. So I mean, they could maybe get away with that. I mean, they they right. might they might be asked to like just flat out score more points in this series because they mm-hmm. they were just in a much better position to outdo LA on offense in that last series. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I I want to say I appreciate you spending the time that you do on making videos, uh, especially about Suns players. I think now we've gotten a Mikael Bridges video from you, a DeAndre Ayton video from you. Uh, and now Chris Paul video. I hope I don't think you've done one yet. I hope we get a Devin Booker video from you at some point because I think you are in the perfect position to really talk about the difference be- between what he was in college and what he is now in the NBA, being that you were around and watching him through all of that. So that was great. I also want to say thank you for picking the Suns on the Bill Simmons podcast. That was nice uh, <laughs> to hear uh, on that podcast. 
Um, obviously, go watch all the videos that Kyle makes on the Ringers YouTube channel. Follow him on Twitter. Kyle, is there anything else that you would like to plug? Uh, Kevin O'Connor and I, I know you guys are buddies with him. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to be doing a Sunday night reaction and preview playoff pod uh, for the for the playoffs, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure what the timeline is on that, but we'll be doing it for uh, a little bit at least. And so listen to that. That's going to be on the Ringer NBA feed. Um, and then, I don't know, in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to be ramping into some draft stuff and uh, hopefully some silly Ooh. off-season projects, ideally. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's what I got going on. Thanks again for joining us, Kyle. My pleasure. We'll be right back with our friend TJ to really preview the Nuggets versus Suns. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm very excited about this. Joining us, someone who's covered the Nuggets for quite a while, TJ McBride. TJ, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I got coffee in hand. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> Very nice. I was just we were just talking before we started recording here and I was just saying that when I went into the Lakers series just sort of pre-hating the Lakers and I'm going into this Nuggets series without any of that sort of extra hate that comes with the playoffs. I mean, it might happen. I'm not going to pretend like it might not happen. I mean, I like the Nuggets now. Who knows what it's going to turn into, but I'm I'm looking forward to this matchup. How do you feel about this? Just just from a general perspective, how do you feel about the Suns versus the Nuggets in the second round? So I cannot wait. What's great for me is I'm not a Nuggets fan. I've just been able to watch this team that I really appreciate throughout so many years now. So I can still be excited for this Nuggets team and be excited to see where they can go and how far they can push this absurd run with everybody injured. But at the same time, if the Suns win and are able to play a great series, I'm very much so looking forward to that. This to me feels like a buffed up version of the Portland-Denver series that we just saw. Mm. And if that was any indication, we are in for a very, very fun ride ahead of us. So for me, when I was starting to watch film and pull some stats and get an idea of what is to come, I was just beyond excited because the more I looked, the more interesting the series got. I'm almost surprised you can even say that without getting Nuggets fans on your case, you know, because you, you're well, not- Nuggets fans know that I'm not a fans guy. They have all accepted this reality that I don't want to deal with that at all. That's rare. So this is wow. very, very well known for me at this point. I actually grew up a Lakers fan, so they have oh my to God. that part as well. I grew up in Los Angeles, <laughs> so like that was, that was my neck of the woods and, and kind you know everything in that area is ran by the lakers so Mm -hmm. i'm not a lakers fan anymore you know how fandom dies when you start to cover the league but yeah i've definitely had my fair share of pushback from nuggets fans due to these kinds of circumstances 
That's hilarious. I had no idea that you were, uh, in your previous life, a, a Lakers fan. It, it's just kind of an odd thing. And I know everyone's talking about this that's covering this series, but you can take nothing. You can take nothing from the games that the Nuggets and the Suns played this season. Yep. They just don't matter at all. And, and there's multiple reasons why. But just to remind Suns fans and, and, and people listening, if you forgot, the reason why is, one, I commonly refer to February 1st as the beginning of the season for the Suns because I just feel like they did not click until February 1st. All three games versus the Nuggets were before that date. Four out of the five Nuggets starters are no longer starting or some are not on the team uh, for the Nuggets in those games. One of the games, Devin Booker was hurt in overtime and then did not play the second game, which was also, I think, a double overtime game. Just There's just so many reasons why you just can't go back and watch those games and sort of learn anything from it. The Nuggets have been really good since since Jamal Murray went down. Surprisingly good, I think it's fair to say. What what has it been like watching this? For for those who maybe haven't watched a ton of the Nuggets since the Jamal Murray injury, how have they been able to maintain the pace that they're playing at? So it's so interesting because the two different perspectives are the people who watch the Nuggets a lot and don't. And the people who have been around this team, they know that Nikola Jokic and Michael Malone have instilled this never-say-die attitude that is no longer a cliche. It has become their identity. Like, they've pride themselves on this weird, I will get punched in the face 14 times and get up 15 times kind of monikers that they really do um, embody at this point. So while I would say I'm surprised because it's frankly insane you can be down three of your best four guards play Portland and win in six but at the same time this is what the Nuggets keep doing there has not been a single playoff experience in the past three years where Denver did not have a major injury that they were contending with so this is not new to them this is how they play basketball I mean how many times did Nikola Jokic have seven dudes on his team that were able to play three of which were in the G League two weeks ago one of which had played nine minutes of NBA basketball and they still managed to win games on the second night of back-to-backs mm. they consistently find a way to do this so I'm not surprised, and frankly, what it comes down to is Denver's role players have stepped up. That idea of never say die is no longer just Michael Malone and Nikola Jokic. It's Austin Rivers. It's Faku Campazo. It's Marcus Howard from <laughs> nowhere. I mean, Marcus Howard is a rookie in arguably the toughest season any rookie has ever experienced in the NBA as a whole, who just stepped into a playoff series and started hitting 50% of his threes. Yeah. So, like, these <laughs> things are bizarre. They feel unstable and unreliable but yet they keep happening so it's disorienting but i want to believe in it i really do i'm sure nuggets fans are are asking you every day and are anxiously awaiting updates on guys like barton and and pj dozier right because like any guys nothing against marcus howard as you just said phenomenal first round series but just anything to beef up that depth chart a little bit you you would think would make you guys a little more confident and yet at the end of the day It kind of all comes down to Nikola Jokic, right? Like what he did in that first round series was amazing. I mean, 33 points per game, 10 and a half rebounds, only four and a half assists for him. But what's so fascinating about where we've gotten to his point of development here is just embracing the scoring role. And I just posted the shot chart on Twitter. I, like, I don't even know where to begin with trying to stop that guy on defense if, if I'm the Suns. So I guess just like give us a vibe check. How would you say, because you're, again, you're not a Nuggets fan, right? But you interact with Nuggets fans all the time. How do they feel uh, going into this series, would you say? What's their level of confidence after what was a hard-fought series against Portland? 
So that locker room, what I can say is they feel no different right now from when they started the playoffs against Portland. They know who they are, they know what they can do, and they have not wavered in any in any capacity. Um, Nuggets fans are, um, they're just riding the high. I mean, you're playing with house money. This is like going up $500 in the first 30 minutes in Vegas and just betting big for the next three. Like, that's kind of where Denver fans are at, and I don't blame them. Like, I see people being like, Nuggets in five, Nuggets in six, and well, I think it's worth a little ahead of the curve when you get to that point. They have reason to believe that. So as my guy Brendan Vote at DNVR would say, the vibes are immaculate, and that's where the Nuggets are at, and they're enjoying themselves. It really is special. And what's so funny is you go back to the Nikola Jokic part that you were saying to start this, and the way that he was able to literally destroy, destroy the entire fabric of the franchise that is the Portland Trailblazers at this point. It was so bad, though. And credit to Adam Mades of DNVR for pointing this out out as well they were literally when there was a pick and roll and Yusef Nurkic was in a drop he wasn't even taking a step away from from Jokic he was letting Monte Morris walk to the rim that's how terrified they were they were not willing to have anybody have even a remote inch of space away from Nikola Jokic even if it meant giving up uncontested layups mm -hmm. and that's the kind of impactful player he is on offense it, right. even with the numbers even with all the stats you can throw out there it's not as meaningful is just those small things that impact the game on a more of a meta level where now everything functions because Nikola Jokic strikes so much fear into them. Yeah, and they and the fear of even helping off of other guys because of what he can do with the ball at that point is it makes it even more difficult. Yep. But he was still able to score, you know, even with Nurkic just being all over him, he was still able to score really efficiently. Now, uh, even though I said there's not a lot to learn from the early games, I do want to just point out one quote by Nikola Jokic after they played mm -hmm. the Suns. He said about Aiton, he plays really good defense. He stopped me five, six, seven, eight times. Give that guy credit. He was really good tonight. And uh, and he really went sort of uh, over the top almost in giving DeAndre Aiton praise for how he played defense on Jokic. When you think about the matchup with DeAndre Aiton, who, for whatever reason, has always played the Nuggets really well, not just defensively. He even has scored relatively well against the Nuggets throughout his career. He even had a 24-point quarter against mm -hmm. the Nuggets in his rookie year. Aiton's always just played the Nuggets relatively well. When you think about that matchup, what comes to mind to you? So I want to start this by saying Jokic is inevitable. No matter how good your defense is, he is still inevitable. Like, Ru like Rudy Gobert knows this better than anybody. You can be the best defensive center on the planet and it just doesn't matter. So I want to say that first just to kind of get it out of the way. Because what DeAndre Ayton has done compared to other centers against Nikola Jokic is significantly more impactful than many others. And what it allows you to do as the Phoenix Suns is at least hope you can make Jokic's life a little bit more difficult mm -hmm. without sending help. Having just one person who can at least physically occupy Jokic is a ginormous deal. That was what allowed the Portland Trailblazers to keep those Jokic minutes essentially even. When you go look at the breakdown of where the Nuggets won that Portland series, it was not the Jokic minutes. It was the bench minutes. Denver won the non-Jokic minutes, and that's what allowed them to win. They played them virtually even with Jokic on the court, and that was because they were able to defend him with one person, just Yusef 
Nurkic, even though he was still able to put up whatever he wanted offensively as a scorer. They took away everything else. I think you can do the same thing with DeAndre Ayton. That's why I put so many comparisons between last series and this series. Um, with that being said, too, the DeAndre Ayton thing is fascinating because the very first game that they played against each other, Nikola Jokic had a 34-point, 11-rebound, 11-assist triple-double on yeah. 11 of 11 shooting with only one missed free throw and yeah. no turnovers. I remember that. It was <laughs> the most complete game that I have ever witnessed in my personal life. And ever since that moment, and I remember DeAndre Ayton after the game being like, wow, I didn't realize how much work I had to do. And how like, strong he was. I remember yeah. that, too. And he was just so stunned about how advanced the league was compared to what he expected after that moment. And ever since that moment, DeAndre Ayton has been a different animal against this Denver Nuggets team. Credit to him. He stepped up in ways that I didn't think he was physically able to against a guy like Nikola Jokic that just can't really be stopped. So that's going to be the most interesting part of this series is DeAndre Ayton for both teams. So I just want to throw out the stats Mike was talking about here because these are they're semi-reliable. When you go to the NBA's website, you guys yeah, know the, the ones I'm talking stuff. about. The matchup stats, but I think, you know, here's what they here's what they say. Um, that Jokic shot 13 of 34 in the three games matched up against DeAndre Ayton this year against almost every other guy that Jokic played, you know, most of his possessions against. His field goal percentage was consistently in the 55, 60, even 65% range against Ayton. He was only 13 for 34 compared to Frank Kaminsky. And when Kaminsky was in the game for the Phoenix Suns, um, I believe Dario Sharge was injured at the time. Uh, he shot five of seven against Kaminsky. He had five free throw attempts and Kaminsky only guarded him for like three minutes. So just yeah. to show you the way and, and look right off the bat, like you said, TJ, Jokic is inevitable. There's going to be positive regression to the mean in those numbers against Ayton. But just to demonstrate the gap there between the level of defense we're talking about with the Suns from their from their starting guy um, to the drop off you have when you go to the bench, Ayton needs to play 35, 40 minutes and he needs to stay out of trouble, um, out of foul trouble. Uh, in order for the Suns to have a chance to win, it's just going to be that important. I would hard lock their minutes. I would not play Absolutely. a single minute without Aiton on the floor with Nikola Jokic. If there's more than five minutes all series where they are not on the floor together, Denver's probably going to win that series. I just want to point out one thing, though. I haven't had a chance to dive into a ton of film, but I was watching. I watched game six with you guys, and one thing that I want to point out Aiton's going to be that guy. I really think this is a series where Aiton's going to single coverage Jokic because he's like one of the five or ten guys in the league who can do it. I agree. And Jokic is going to score 30 or 40 points in most games anyway. And I think it's going to be a tough experience for Suns fans on the Twitter timeline because I think this is the type of series where we're going to see highlights posted of Jokic just taking it to Aiton, giving him dives, spin moves, you know, just just scoring on him. Uh, these these really fancy highlights, and it's like, but you gotta you kind of gotta live with that single coverage. You gotta do whatever you can to not allow the Nuggets get into the flow of their offense, get into the handoffs, the cuts, the spot up shooting. One thing that I saw in Game Six that I thought was just like this is where I really thought, wow, this is what makes this offense, this Nuggets offense, so hard to stop. Is I think it's one thing if Jokic is starting from the center of the floor, if he's comfortably pulling up, if he's taking it to you in the low post, these kind of actions where. He's going to score a lot of points, but at least you've got Aiton on him in single coverage and you feel good about the the strength, the pound for pound comparison there. But I remember I saw one play where it was like Michael Porter Jr. gets the ball at the top of the key and and Compazzo, Faku, comes and sets like a flare screen for Jokic who's on the wing. Yes. And Jokic dives in. Nurkic is caught on the screen for just a second and you get a, a beautiful pass from MPJ who is not a playmaking talent at least not in the way we typically think of it but you get Jokic like cutting towards the basket coming downhill. He catches it in stride and watching that said one thing to me that it was like 
it's one thing to try and throw Aiton at this guy in single coverage, where honestly, like just from the Suns fan perspective, I feel pretty confident about what Aiton is able to do. But like looking at stuff like that emphasizes how smart everyone else on this Nuggets team is. Because we all know the points have to come from Porter Jr. and Jokic, collectively speaking, most of them anyway. But the passing IQ that all of these guys have, the the cerebral ability for them to find each other in space, and, and once you start including those actions where it forces Phoenix to read and react, and maybe you get a guard switching onto Jokic for just a second as he's coming downhill, you're toast. Like... Aiton has to be the primary guy on Jokic in every action. And if the Nuggets are able to counter that with ways to switch him onto other guys, that's where it becomes really, really difficult for the Suns to, to even theorize how they could stop that offense. It's funny you say that. I actually pulled and actually tweeted out, I think, like three or four clips when I went back and watched the film from the Nuggets-Suns games earlier in the season, and the Nuggets did exactly that. They ran just so many pin-down screens using guards to get Nikola Jokic at the elbow, either able to shoot, able to drive, able to pass, draw a double. When you put him in that triple threat position, catching the ball with space and his guy trailing him, you're already almost dead. And I think that that is going to become their pet action to get Jokic in a position to succeed. I fully, fully expect them to do so many pin-down actions using Austin Rivers, Faku Campazzo, Monte Morris, all of these guys as that screen setter. I also think you'll see a lot of Spain pick and roll, especially when Monte Morris is in. <laughs> That's a Monte Williams um, I, favorite too. Yes, I know. And it's going to be so funny because you're going to see Spain, 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 Spain at one point, and I'm just going to be in basketball heaven just smiling. And I just cannot wait to see more of this. But yes, I think you're going to see so many pin-down screens because that allows Jokic to choose the best option with the defense already trailing and DeAndre Ayton that's a great way to get him into foul trouble have him run over guards who are setting screens you want to get an easy way to pick up some cheap fouls early in the game that's a great way to do it so I fully expect to see a lot of that I I expect to see a lot of off-ball screens to try and get Jokic's guy because like what the Nuggets will do is they'll run those like baseline double drags to get Jokic into the right or left post and just force Ayton to go over and under two screens and see if he's able to do so without fouling and trucking someone over so it's going to be fascinating to see those double rip sets they love to run Mm -hmm. um i don't know if it's going to work as well as we think because the wings on phoenix are so much better than they were on Portland. absolutely a quick head just a quick show will give the quickness of deandre ayton enough to catch up so that's going to adjust a lot more in my opinion but that's going to be so fun to watch as Jokic in that triple threat position catching the ball at the elbow and making decisions you know you talk about the similarities between Portland and uh, and Phoenix and, and sort of the game plans that'll probably be implemented by the Suns. It may actually be similar to Portland. I think the big difference is, and I think you hit on it there, is Portland is really bad defensively, like really, yeah. really bad. Michael Porter Jr. was free in that series from what I've seen. This guy was able to get to spots way, way, way too easily, and it seemed like that type of thing is not necessarily going to happen for the Suns. And I think Portland, interestingly, would, would go under, I think, a lot of the ball screens for... Uh, for the Nuggets as well, not afraid at all of any sort of pull-up three-point shooting from the Nuggets, which I thought was interesting and I think could benefit the Suns if they do something like that as well. But I think where I'm looking at who the Nuggets are starting, now I'm assuming it's going to be the same starting lineup, yeah, which is Compazzo, Rivers, uh, Gordon, MPJ, and Jokic. Now looking at that, at first I, I was sort of talking myself into... Uh, 
Jay Crowder, by the way, Nuggets fans, get prepared. If anyone are listening to this, get prepared to hate Jay Crowder. Oh, no, no, <laughs> you know they have beef from the Utah days. Because Jay yeah. Crowder was in Utah, and him and Jokic got into a shoving match yeah. last time they were in Utah. So It's yeah. his job. It's his <laughs> it's job. It's he, wants, he wants to get on the nerves of anyone either uh, on the other team or anyone who, who likes the other team. So that's, that's coming. Uh, but I think I've sort of talked myself into... Aaron Gordon with Jay Crowder on him, Mikael Bridges on Michael Porter Jr. And the, the advantage of that, I think, is is Jay Crowder is such a smart help defender and you can sort of rely on... If you do help off of Aaron Gordon, that's a lot better than helping off of Michael Porter Jr. And then you mm-hmm. just give sort of the, the role to Mikael Bridges just to lock down MPJ as much as possible. Uh, when you think about the matchup, that's the big difference. That's really the big difference because I'm watching Game 6 now. I watched it right before we recorded now. And, and I'm asking myself, what the hell are the Portland Trailblazers doing multiple times? Because it's just completely insane how they're leaving guys open. And they're just not good. I mean, that's really what it is. They're just not good defenders. When you think about the Suns matching up, I think that defense is going to be a lot tighter for the Suns on the Nuggets. And do you agree with that? Yeah, I think the IQ is the big difference here. Because I don't know why Portland didn't switch the Covington um, the Covington and um, and Powell whenever they were in a screening action. Like, why didn't you just flip that Porter switching that one? Because then you don't have to worry about anything. You're not going to have Porter you know, slipping through and getting a cut. Or all of a sudden getting you know mismanaged and he's up of three. And I think you're going to see the Suns just switch it. Mm-hmm. Like, Mikhail Bridges Absolutely. and Jay Crowder are fine. There's no reason to not just switch that. Keep everything easy. Not expend extra energy and still keep him in front of you. And that is all that you want to do with him. And even if you get into the wing depth, I mean, the Suns bring in Cam Johnson into the game. They'll bring in Tory Craig into the game. Who I don't know if he has any link. revenge game. Yeah, so, you'll have some. I don't know if he has. Tory Craig will have some yeah. extra boost. I know that will be good. right. Yeah, I, I don't know if he has lingering feelings about feeling he slighted was not by happy Denver. That he was that the qualifying offer was rescinded for oh. a no longer on the team. I didn't I know assume. I didn't know that the qualifying offer was rescinded. Well the po- Yeah, so they they lost Jeremy Grant and then they had to find a big so they rescinded his qualifying offer inside Isaiah Hartenstein to get another Oh, point. yeah, revenge game incoming, revenge yep. series. But my point is, you look at all four of those guys and all four of them are switchable. Like the Suns really yep. don't have to worry about any one of those wings being targeted so much, I don't think. This is going to be a big Cam Johnson series, in my opinion. I think you're going to see him get blended into the starting unit quite a bit when they try and keep big and get extra shooting on the floor because the Phoenix doesn't shoot the three like Portland did. And that was the biggest issue for Denver was the math game. And I think getting Cam Johnson as that first guy off the bench to spread the floor immediately more so than Jay Crowder and at least give you that boost going into the bench unit will allow them a lot more space to be able to exist where the Denver Nuggets against Portland were able to make up those points against the bench unit. So I'm, I'm very excited for the Cam johnson series that's that's really interesting and actually he was pretty good in the first round series and and did a, an amazing thing when the series ends ended which is wear a uh, troll shirt for the lakers with mickey mouse on it <laughs> on instagram <laughs> after eliminating the lakers which i think if you're going to do something like that you better come out and and really perform in yeah. the next series because you're being cocky on the internet and you got to perform in order to not be made uh, somewhat of a joke on the internet what do you look elephant in the room time defense what the hell are the nuggets gonna do guarding the suns because are are you just saying they're gonna put aaron gordon on devin booker and just cross their fingers and hope is that is that the plan here 
I think so. Oh I my! Think that's what worked last series. Okay. I mean, okay, so this is the thing with Denver is that they know how to play together and they play fundamentally sound defense. They're not going to ever blow anyone away. You're not going to just lock down and be able to just completely eliminate three minutes of a game for an opposing offense. That's not who they are. But with that being said, they know how to opportunistically come up with stops. They know how to be able to switch when, when they need to switch, how to fall back, how to play good backline defense. And frankly, I think, and this is my opinion because I haven't watched enough Suns yet. Um, I've I've watched the whole series one time through, but I started to actually kind of fine tooth comb game five and six just yesterday. But to me, it seems like Devin Booker is running so much more of the offense mm-hmm. that being able to put Aaron Gordon on him and to at least remove most of the playmaking from the point of attack of the offense would be huge for the Denver Nuggets overall. And if Chris Paul is not able to be a guy you can swing the ball to and run offense to, over and over and over again, that gives Denver a big advantage. Booker's going to get every point he wants. I'm not worried about that. But can you make life difficult at the point of attack? That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's going to be tough, man. I mean, <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this is a series. There's going to be. They just did it to Dame. They I know. Just I know. Did I know they Damian did. Lillard. I'm saying there's going to be a lot of points scored in this series, and I think with Chris Paul, Chris Paul looked more like. Chris Paul was awful in games two and three, and and I don't blame him whatsoever. But I'm saying by games five and six. I think he looked like that guy who you can swing the ball to. And here's one other thing I'll say. It's all good vibes right now. I think both of these fan bases actually kind of uniquely like each other, which is pretty funny going into a second round series um, until Faku tugs a little bit too hard at Chris Paul's shoulder in maybe game two or three. And then it'll be blood in the water and I'll hate you guys forever if that happens. Jake Crowder's (laughs) pushing backup centers and we're just getting all the way into it. I'm very prepared for that to happen. I I have some some more questions about what you think the Nuggets are going to do. The Trailblazers actually did a pretty good job of forcing the Nuggets to switch and got some big guys out in the perimeter against the Trailblazers quite a bit. Even off the ball, I saw the Nuggets switching off the ball uh, more often than I had expected them to do. Is that by design or is that just Portland really forcing them uh, out of their comfort zone by getting even Jokic out on the perimeter against guys? I don't want to say it's by design because Michael Malone hates switching. Like He's one of those archaic coaches who's like, why are you giving up? And it's very, it doesn't work well for the Nuggets. But with that being said, they don't have the personnel to not switch anymore. So that's kind of the way I'm viewing it is there are just some matchups that if you want to keep guys in front of you and contain it in any capacity, you just have to switch more. And that's what Denver has been doing because how do you instill defensive chemistry in an Austin Rivers, Faku Composo backcourt that has literally never played together until the last week of the season? So in my opinion, they're going to be switching a lot because that's what they've been doing. And it's just going to be a fight and a guts level defensive performance for Denver mm. to win. And that's it, it's unfortunate because this is what the injuries do. When you don't have the size right. of Will Barton and you don't have the tenacity of a P.J. Dozier, you don't have the pieces to defend a backcourt like this. You just don't have it. It was the same issue they had against Portland. So find the guts, switch as much as you can, do whatever it takes to keep them in front of you and not blowing by you. Don't let them you know, split hedges and things like that. Just keep everything in front of you mm-hmm. and you can survive. And that's kind of been their way of going about it. So Might I suggest you have one piece uh, who could maybe play some strong point of attack defense against these two Yeah, guards. you're talking about Shaq Harrison. Shaq Harrison, baby! <laughs> <laughs> I love Shaq Harrison. It's like a love language of me to watch defensive stoppers who can't shoot the basketball. Like, I love it. But at the same time, like, Michael Malone is very astute and understands that when you're playing this group of guys who are not going to be threats to most teams in the 
NBA, as, as shooters, I should say, to space the floor, putting Shaq Harrison out there who won't even occupy a defender is just completely damning your spacing. So that's why I think you've seen the Marcus Howard play more minutes over Shaq Harrison, despite the fact that they were playing Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, was just to keep that floor space and have another shooter on there to occupy a defender. Look, if Marcus mm. Howard keeps shooting 45% from deep, then I get that. But I'm just saying if the Nuggets want to improve their defensive rating in this series by like 20 points... Uh, <laughs> 15 minutes of Shaq Harrison might not be the worst idea. Yeah, they'll have like a 92 defensive rating in those 15 minutes too. It'll be glorious. I wish yeah, they would play uh, their all defensive yeah. lineups where they play like Jamichael Green, Paul Millsap, Aaron Gordon, Shaq Harrison, <laughs> Austin Rivers, and just like go out there and be long and switch and have fun. I wish I would see more of that. Uh, hearing about that switching, I'm just going to write this down. Cameron Payne is going to feast. I'll just yes. write that down now. Um, another question I have, the Suns, Look, I think there's a chance that the Suns give a chance back to Dario Saric to play some backup center minutes in this series. I, I don't think this is a Frank Kaminsky series. But what they did, if that didn't work, if those either of those things didn't work, is they went small. Torrey Craig, Jay Crowder in at the same time, no big. Now, Millsap has essentially been playing, at least from what I've seen, and I only really rewatched the last two games, Millsap is just playing when Jokic is on, off the floor, just basically just those minutes, it seems like, from what from what I can tell. Uh if the Suns do go small in those non-Jokic minutes, non-Aiton minutes, do you see the Nuggets trying to match that by maybe like Jamichael Green at center, center or like even smaller if they have the guys to do it? Or do you think they just continue playing their game with who they have and see if they can defend those guys in, in that small formation what they've been doing since the since the end of the regular season in the last in the last round that we just watched was they played paul Millsap, jermichael green as their two bigs um with no center out there with michael porter jr on the floor and that gave them enough rebounding and enough offensive versatility to really kind of counteract whatever was thrown their way the only thing that you can't control in that regard is um being able to box out an actual center. They just didn't have the personnel to do that, which is why Terry Stotts made this very smart decision, in my opinion, to get Nurkic against the Nuggets bench, but then the Nuggets ended up drawing nine fouls and it went very, very badly for Yusef. But that switch... It killed Denver for like six minutes when they put like an actually physically dominant big against that bench unit. Um, the Suns do not have that ability. Like, I don't think mm. Frank Kaminsky fits in this series at all. I agree with you that I would play Dario over him at that back of five, and I had that penciled in as something to look for in game one because I don't know what Frank does. I have absolutely no idea how he helps you in this series. Well, because if he, go ahead, go ahead. No, Sorry. Does, you should, you, you, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I think he helps you in this series no less than he helps you in any series. So <laughs> that's kind of your. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead yeah that's yeah. not good that's the deandre ayton effect and you do not want that to already be hanging over you where you just can't play basketball against the best teams in basketball and i think that that's going to be the case so i expect them to play small which will play into denver's hands but at least gives the suns more options to stay afloat because i don't know what the other option is there i would rather have a playmaking center out there as opposed to kaminsky doing whatever it is that frank kaminsky does that's really interesting yeah i i i I just feel like you have to give Dario Saric a chance. And look, Dario's played basically... He looks like a rookie mm -hmm. out there for the last few months. He just... I don't know what happened. It's like uh, it's like his talent got zapped, Space Jam style, uh, <laughs> towards the end of the season. But And 
and I, I think that Jokic has played relatively well against Saric when Saric was in too. So if you can find a way to keep Aiton on the floor as much as possible with Jokic, if, if Aiton somehow gets in foul trouble, I don't want Kaminsky on there. I think you kind of have to go to Saric at first, and if that doesn't work, then you start helping off of uh, off of other guys, and you have someone like Jay Crowder, Torrey Craig on Jokic and just hoping to stop shooters at that point, which is a little tough and a little scary. That's that's the importance of DeAndre Ayton staying out of foul trouble and just contesting as much as possible. But I think Sarge has the strength. He's not tall, but he's pretty strong, and you can't he can't really be moved around pretty easily. And I think you got to give those guys a ch- I don't think they like each other. I think Sarge and Jokic <laughs> don't like each other. I don't think Jokic <laughs> even acknowledges that those kinds of things. So I think Sarge doesn't like Jokic, and Jokic is just kind of floating out in basketball <laughs> nirvana doing what he does. So. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. And I think in that sense, I think you kind of got to give him a chance and see if that can be channeled into something interesting as far as Sarge and maybe get him going a little bit going forward. But I- I'm really interested in those non-Jokic minutes. Somehow, the Nuggets won the non-Jokic minutes. Mm against the Portland Trailblazers. I'd be personally, I'd be shocked if they did that against the Suns, but it's very important for the Suns to win those minutes, I think, in order to have a chance in this series. The Michael Porter Jr., Paul Millsap, Jermichael Green trio is just out of this world flamethrower good. I'm trying to pull up the stats right now, but the internet's terrible. Um, But that trio during the regular season and the playoffs has been the boon that they needed when Jokic was not on the court. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me because, look, I'm trying not to take any of these like offensive ratings and net ratings, anything from the Portland Trailblazers series after really watching their defense. God, like, so I, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying not to really acknowledge that uh, because it just doesn't feel like it's going to apply. It's so hard to really predict this series, I think, from that perspective. I feel maybe maybe I'm wrong for this, but maybe you can you can talk me off off of this if you think I'm wrong for this, but I feel pretty confident in the Suns going into this series. I think with the right kind of guard play involving Jokic in actions defensively, I think will help them a lot if they can somehow get him in foul trouble. Obviously, that's a big thing. And I just, you know, Chris Paul's health obviously will matter a lot if if he continues to get injured anytime somebody touches him in the wrong spot, that's going to be a difference maker in the series. But if he comes out looking you know, 75, 85, 90% of Chris Paul, I feel pretty confident about what the matchup as far as the Suns in this series. What do you think about about this just from that perspective, TJ? I've, be, I've been flipping between um, Suns in six and Denver in seven basically every hmm. hour ever since, ever since we knew what the matchup was going to be. I'm still not at a place that I feel confident either direction. I'm going to feel a lot more confident after game one, I think. <laughs> I want to see the adjustments. I, that This is going to be such a coach-heavy series, in my opinion, because both of these teams are unique but also understand the counters that they have for each other. And because of that, you're going to see so many many different subtle changes i think on a day-to-day basis i think you're gonna see a ton of pin downs from denver in game one i think you're gonna see a whole lot of switching more in game two from the suns which is then gonna put Jokic in a mismatch or are you gonna bring the double there's gonna be so many alterations that happen between game one and halftime of game two that that's really where i'm looking to see what changes because i don't know how those are going to shake out yet and this is so close in my opinion that those adjustments are going to be the difference maker in this series so I, I have no confidence level on any kind of prediction at this point. I just can't wait to get going. This is what I'll say is this is in no way a slight against the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, maybe a little bit, but whereas that series was kind of like you had to stop the Lakers from coasting on their top tier talent. What's so interesting to me about this series is that it's just stacked to the brim on both sides with high IQ basketball yeah. players. 
And that's really where the adjustments start to come in. Like also the fact that these two teams, they're just diametrically opposed in terms of what they do on yeah. offense. The Suns are this guard heavy. You got to check their pull-ups. You got to check their guards at the pull uh, at the point of attack. The Nuggets run through Jokic and they suck in all that space and then look for options around him. It's just, it's going to be a fascinating chess match, uh, chess match for sure. And Michael Malone and Monty Williams are like, they have so much respect for each other too, which is going to add such a cool wrinkle to this when you start getting into the interview process, I think. Because both these guys have just supreme amounts of respect for each other, and they're going to go all out. I mean, this is an empty the clip series for both teams. There is mm-hmm. no tomorrow anymore, even more so than it was against the Lakers or for Portland for Denver, I think. This kind of feels like a different level of playoff basketball now compared yeah. to the past series, and I can't wait to get going. And frankly, the Nuggets would have been better off against the Lakers, so they're in a tougher position now in my opinion than they would have been anyway and i can't wait to see how that plays out they like it that way yep i i totally agree with that and even you know from that empty the clip perspective chris paul's 36 like yep and and the guys on the suns know that it's not like it's just chris paul the the rest of the team knows that i i I said it at the beginning of the season sam remembers adding a superstar is not just adding a superstar you're adding the weight of that superstar's legacy onto the shoulders of every player that plays on the team and I think the Suns have been Suns players have been acutely aware of that this entire season. They understand that how they play and what they do and how they perform now affects the legacy of Chris Paul. And I think that's why they're going to be as locked in as they could possibly be. It's going to be fascinating. Not to mention, it's going to be a revenge series for Austin Rivers, who was briefly on the Suns. Austin Rivers uh, and is like cut a legend of every team in basketball <laughs> at this point. He has yeah. hopped around in such a... It's absolutely insane. But, man, yeah, never played a minute. Is, never played good. a minute. But yeah. He yeah. didn't play a single minute. I, didn't, I did not know that. I did not no, know he, that was he, traded, was. he was traded with uh, Oubre and then, uh, and then just cut <laughs> before, he, before he ever yeah. even put a jersey on. I think he never planned on playing with the Suns. I don't know but. if this has been reported. I, I think Adam Marez might have reported this, but Austin Rivers was vetoed to go to Milwaukee. They didn't even want him. They were like, <laughs> nope, stay home. We don't even want you. And then came to Denver and is doing what he's doing. Talk about a fun story. I have endless amounts of respect for what Austin Rivers has done in these past few weeks. Yeah. He's your campaign. I. Yeah, yes, I mean yes, that's that's exactly that's got to be Monte Morris, by the way. Monte <laughs> Morris is your campaign in, in terms of like how they play, but Austin Rivers is I your campaign. To watch for... those two go back and forth though, because the IQ yeah. and the um, like the ability to know those vet tricks to get those advantages, both of them are just going to only be playing in that way, and it's going to be so fun to watch them match up. I have to be honest. I love that the Nuggets are relying so much on Austin Rivers. I mm-hmm. think that's that's an advantage for the Suns. <laughs> <laughs> but TJ, uh, we're going to let you go. I appreciate you sticking around uh, with us for so long. For people listening to this, we'll be back after every game. Make sure to go and follow TJ on Twitter. TJ McBride NBA is his handle. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug, TJ? Nope, that's it for me. Let's talk some hits on Twitter, and I can't wait for this series to go. We appreciate you joining us. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.